Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Uh, Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Eli Melech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Eli Melech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto his reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came, hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence. But abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have not I charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art a thirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell down on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother, and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. She sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until even and beat out that she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. So how appropriate this morning for on Mother's Day that we're studying about Ruth, a great mother in Israel. May you be like Ruth and like Esther, both the books we studied, by the way. <laughs> May you be deserving of praise. May you be in Israel a shining light. So that's our challenge here. When we look here at Ruth and we see 
that what we found is that when she was hungry, she was to eat with the servants of Boaz at mealtime. When she was thirsty, she was to drink of the water the young man put out for her. And focusing on these words that Ruth heard from Boaz when he said, at mealtime, come thou hither and eat. And how much those words meant to Ruth. Before Ruth came to this place, when she heard those wonderful words, Ruth had a lot of problems. Ruth had a lot of troubles. Ruth had a lot to worry about. We have been going through a very difficult time here at the chapel. Death is a person. Death is a personality. And it's disturbing when death has visited us, taken our dear Ken, taken our dear Cindy. That's death. And that brings the opportunity to worry And with these wonderful words that Ruth heard, it helps us because we can see that Ruth's problems were now over. And so we want to ask the simple question, before hearing these words, before speaking to Boaz, what did Ruth have to worry about? And when she did hear these words, did she have a face of worry? Ruth has never expressed a word of worry. And when she talked to Naomi, Ruth expressed not a word of worry, but she expressed a word of confidence. And when she said in Ruth 2.2, that we just read, and Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And when Ruth said that to Naomi, Naomi looked at her and she said, go, my daughter, There's no worry in Ruth's statement to Naomi. Ruth did not say that she wanted to go out and try and find food. Ruth spoke to Naomi with a confidence when she said that she was going to go out and and she said, I'm going to find a landowner who's going to show grace to me. And she spoke with this confidence that she was going to come back with corn. She was going to glean ears of corn. And today we want to focus our attention on Ruth's confidence. Today, Ruth was confident that she was going to find food. She was going to return with food. And Naomi looked at Ruth's confidence, and Naomi admired that. And when she saw that, she said, I couldn't have a more wonderful daughter than you, Ruth, my Moabitess daughter. Because Naomi wanted what Ruth had. And what did Ruth have? Ruth had a confidence that was free of worry. See, Ruth had addressed the problem of worry. Ruth had overcome the problem of worry. And we want to focus now on what the Bible has to say about gaining this confidence that Ruth had to be free of worry. Because according to the Bible, there is a secret for having this confidence that's free of worry. There's a way to overcome worry. Well, there's a passage in Scripture that gives us the secret of having the Ruth-like confidence that's free of worry. Worry is a problem. Worry is more of a problem than the problem we're worrying about, you know? And it's so much a problem that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke and he dressed head on the problem of worry. And he did this, you might want to turn to this, in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, is where he spoke about the problem of worry. And he said this in Matthew 6, 25, very familiar, Sermon on the Mount, got all the people together, 
addressing various points about not going, not relying on tradition and not thinking that you're self-righteous, you know, looking at your heart and so forth. And now he heads right into this problem of worry when he says in Matthew 6, 25, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink or yet for your body, what you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, neither gather, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto a stature? And why take ye thought for your raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you, that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient for the day, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. See, in this verse, as I read this there, did you notice this one phrase that the Lord Jesus repeats three times in verse 25? Take no thought. In verse 27, which of you by taking thought? Verse 28, why take ye thought? Verse 31, therefore take no thought. Verse 34, there, take therefore no thought. See, five times, five times here, the Lord Jesus is saying, we are to take no thought. And the question is, well, what does it mean to take no thought? It doesn't mean to not think about or what to do with problems. I mean, clearly Ruth, she thought about the problem of no food because she gave it some thought and, and she came up with this plan that she was going to go out and, and find a, a field of a gracious landowner and that person was going to allow her to collect the fallen ears of corn. That's a plan that Ruth had. She devised that plan because she thought about what the best thing to do was. So take no thought does not mean to not think about the solutions to problems and to devise a strategy. So if we take no thought, it doesn't mean to not think about at all. The phrase take no thought means don't worry about. It means not to worry. You see, the saying take no thought, he might as well have just said don't worry. See, take no thought means to not engage in a worry that's destructive to the soul and the body for that matter. It's easy, but you know, it's easier to say, well, don't worry about it. Ah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You hear that all the time. Well, how are you supposed to do that? Exactly how you said, how are you supposed to do it? How's Ruth not to worry about her problems? I mean, how are we to, well, not worry about our problems? I mean, first, the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives us four common things that we commonly worry about, which are first, food. I can relate to that. <laughs> Second, Drink. Third, clothes. And fourth, future. See? In verse 25, the Lord said, Take no thought for what you shall eat. And that doesn't mean to, to, to not think about planning for food and preparing for food. I mean, what would happen if after the service 
you know, family says to mom, well, what's for lunch? And mom says, hmm, I don't know, because the Bible says take no thought <laughs> what we're going to eat. So I don't know about your lunch. <laughs> so the problem is worrying about food, worrying about no food, worrying about too much food, <laughs> worrying about becoming fat, you know. And here we're, we're, we worry about eating too much food. That's what we worry about in this country. We worry about getting fat. We worry, I'm glad to tell you I've overcome that problem. I just got fat. I don't worry about it. <laughs> or the problem of over-dieting. Over-dieting. Well, can't eat that, can't eat that. That's also worrying. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ was in the wilderness, and he had fasted for 40 days. 40 days, 40 nights. He was very hungry. He was to the point of starvation. So the proposal for food was put to him. It's very interesting. He says, Simply use your power, the devil said. Just use your power. You've got that power. Stones can be hot bread. Now, what, 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 what if that was us in the wilderness? And, and we had not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. And the devil comes to us and says, all you got to do is just command these stones to be made bread. They'll become bread. What would we do? What would, would we do it? What's wrong with a simple command to, to turn stones into bread? Is it so sinful? I mean, a person's starving to death? What's wrong with getting food when a person's starving to death? Well, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do? He said in Matthew 4, 2 through 4, he said, he said these words. He said, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward unhungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What a statement. You know, I have a friend, Russian Jewish man, and uh, he said to me one time, he said, you know, in this country, he said, food is overrated. That's an interesting statement. Food is overrated. You know what the Lord Jesus Christ was saying here? You've just overrated food. Because the problem was that the Lord Jesus Christ had been led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. And that means that it was the will of God for him to not have food. And he could have been provided with food, but he was not. And now it was the devil who was instructing him on how to get food. The Lord would have rather died than to take instructions from the devil. That was the problem went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal. And all the people followed him trembling. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass, as soon as he had made an end of the offering, the burnt offering... Behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed, the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal. And I have not made supplication to the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord 
have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people because that which the Lord commanded thee. Serious passage. In this passage, Israel's leaders saw that he looked, you know, I have to say, saw, he saw the Philistines were ready to destroy Israel. Saul knew that he needed two offerings. These two offerings had to be made to the God of Israel if he and Israel were not going to be destroyed by the Philistines. And those offerings were the burnt offering and the peace offering. But God instituted that only Samuel, the prophet, was to make those sacrifices of the burnt offering and the peace offering. And Samuel had told Saul, seven days I'll be there. Seven days I'm going to meet you in Gilgal and you be there, and then we'll make the sacrifices of the burnt and the peace offerings. I'll do it. But the problem was, Samuel didn't come in the seven days. And Saul sees the Philistines getting ready to destroy, and Saul saw the people tremble, and Saul starts to see the people start to scatter away from following him. So Saul decides, I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm not going to wait for Samuel. I'm not going to wait for God to make those peace and burnt offerings. I'll just take matters into my own hands. And he took matters into his own hands, and he went ahead. He went ahead and offered those sacrifices himself. That's a perfect example of what happens when a person does not wait on God and instead takes matters into his own hands. I mean, first we look at the situation. We stand back, we look at the situation, and we see it was a temptation, yes. It was a temptation for Saul to not wait on God. It was a temptation for him to take matters into his own hands because he was looking at three situations that were a great pressure on Saul. First, Saul looked at the people who were following him and Saul saw how afraid they were. As it said in verse seven, all the people followed him trembling. You know, such an army. And second, Saul looked at the people who had decided to not follow him anymore and he saw them scattering away. He saw him leaving. And it says in verse 11, Saul said, because I saw the people were scattered from me. And third, Saul looked at the Philistines and they weren't scattering away. They were assembling together, assembling their troops, getting ready to come down on him. Verse 11, because I saw that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. And when Saul saw that, he assumed what was gonna happen. He says in verse 12, Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal. And what's very significant in this passage is what Saul said was the basis for why he made the decision to not wait on God and take matters into his own hands. And it's all tied up in the word saw. See, verse 11, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me. And then the next verse, Thou camest not within days appointed that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. See, as that's the explanation for why he did not wait on God. He took matters in his own hands because he saw, he saw the people were scattered from him, which shows he had a weakness. He had a weakness that he felt he had to have people following him. Saul relied for his deliverance on man, on the people, and Jeremiah warned against that. He said in Jeremiah 17, 5, Jeremiah said, Thus saith the Lord God, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh 
his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. See, Saul was trusting in man, not in God, for his deliverance. See, Saul didn't believe what Saul's son, we just talked about Saul's replacement. Now we're gonna talk about Saul's son. He has a son. His name is Jonathan. And Saul didn't believe what Saul's son Jonathan believed which he spoke, Jonathan spoke in 1 Samuel 14, 6, when he says, and Jonathan, that's Saul's son, said to the young man that bare his armor, come and let us go over, this is two of them, by the way, come and let us go over unto the garrison, that's more than two, by the way, (laughs) over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord, to save by many or by few. There is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. See, what was astounding to us is that this is Saul's son. And he saw so clearly that God was not restrained by what his father called, the people were scattered from me. And when Saul saw the people go away, Saul said, oh no, this is a tragedy. See, Saul's view of God was that when God saw the people scatter away from Saul, Saul thought that God was going to say, oh, quick, Saul, go after the people. You know, don't let them go away from you. What's the matter with you? Don't you understand that I'm restrained? Unless you have a lot of people with you, quick, Saul, go gather them back. Say, no, don't go. Because, Saul, don't you understand? I, as God, am limited, and I can't save you unless you've got a lot of people to support you. See, that's what, the, that's what, that's what Saul thought. Saul thought that God was saying, saying, you know, Saul, you're in a lot of trouble now because you've got all these people are going away from you. That was Saul's thinking way. And that kind of thinking way, that kind of thinking does not really believe in the power of God. It doesn't believe in the power of God to deliver. That kind of thinking is unbelief. That kind of thinking is the Hebrews 3.10 evil heart of unbelief. That thinking way is a 1 Samuel 2.22 wicked departure from God. That kind of thinking way is what Isaiah 2.22 says, cease ye, stop already. It was that kind of thinking that caused God to say to Saul in this passage in 1 Samuel 13.13 that Saul, you did foolishly. It was that kind of thinking that caused Saul to lose the kingdom in 1 Samuel 13, 14, which we've been reading. It's that kind of thinking way that caused God to say in 1 Samuel 13, 14, that I'm done with you, Saul, that God was done with Saul as king, and God was going to search for a new king. It was that kind of thinking way that caused God to open up a requisition for a replacement for Saul with a job description that read with the words of uh, 1 Samuel 13, 14, new job opening. God is looking for a man after his own heart. That's how God's new job opening read. Searching for a man after God's own heart. And yet there was still time for Saul to keep his job. If he would just do one thing, repent. That's all he had to do. And God gave Saul a son named Jonathan who showed Saul what you got to do. He showed him the kind of thinking way that he needed to have. And it was his own son, which was to forget about all those people who've just left you and just see them as the arm of flesh. All you got to do is treasure the arm of God. And that's all you need for deliverance, Saul. 
And Saul said that when I see Samuel come on the expected day, that drives me crazy. And so he took matters into his own hand. It stressed Saul out because Samuel didn't come at the expected time. Saul expected Samuel to come when he said he was going to come. And so really Saul was giving God a time for him to work. And God didn't work at that time. And that stressed Saul out. And so Saul says, I'm going to take matters in my own hands. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.